0: Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging, objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton.
1: Thank you, Suzanne. On our last episode, we began a conversation with best-selling author David Horowitz, particularly about his newest book, The Enemy Within. We conclude that discussion in this episode. But just changing gears slightly, there's a notorious hate group called the Southern Poverty Law Center that's targeted you for years, David Horowitz, and a lot of people might think, well, that's probably annoying, but uh, I suspect that it has serious actual harms. Can you tell us what it is like to be targeted by such a hate group?
2: Of course. I gave a speech for a bipartisan organization of 2,000 state legislatures called the... uh, American, I can never remember the name because it's so obscure, American Legislative Exchange Council. And it was a pretty innocuous speech. I got a standing ovation and that really upset the Democrats who were there. So they wrote in, uh, a Democratic legislator from Wisconsin wrote an article saying that it was a catastrophic meeting because of me. And then then they quoted the Southern Poverty Law Center saying I was one of the 10 most dangerous hate mongers in America. (laughs) And all these corporations pulled out. Without reading, my my speech was up on the internet. There's nothing in it that anybody in his right mind could object to. But the worst thing is that that happened in August, 2018. And that was midterm elections were about to happen. Uh, and it, in Florida Ron DeSantis was already being attacked as a racist because he he said that um, he was running against a drug addict named Andrew Gillam and a stone-cold racist and Gillum was also in addition to being a drug addict was a socialist and uh, you know Ron DeSantis right well, he was first at West Point Harvard Law you know served in Afghanistan, a stellar guy running against him. So they, uh, DeSantis said, we don't want socialists monkeying up our economy, do we? Uh And of course, the racist NACP came out and said that was a racist trope. It had nothing to do with Gillum's skin color. It had to do with his destructive politics.
1: You know, in Florida, that happens all the time. I remember several years back, somebody used the term for stingy. That sounds like another forbidden term. And he got in huge trouble because people don't understand the language.
2: No question
1: about it. We have a
2: generations now of miseducated and uneducated youngsters. But anyway, so they every paper in Florida picked up a Washington Post piece that noted that DeSantis had been at my events and said, the headline in Huffington Post was, Ron DeSantis takes, uh, gets, has four paid speeches, at my events, but they did did four paid speeches for an infamous racist, David Horowitz. Of course, there's not a sentence, I've written millions and millions of words Not a sentence of mine, and I'm all over the internet. I mean, there's hundreds of hours of me up on the internet. Nobody's come up with a racist statement of mine, but they don't need to. They just assert it. And uh, I think they lost $100,000. I mean, I've lost a ton of money by these slanders. And, you know, that's why people keep their mouths shut. uh, Well, look, they just took $100 million out of Atlanta. Um, because they don't want there to be voter IDs. And when you have a party that's so dedicated to eliminating voter IDs, you know you have a party that's practicing electoral fraud on a massive scale. That's the way they do it. And if you, you just, the argument that poor Black people are too stupid to get to be able to get photo IDs is so transparently, it's racist and it's false. Uh, But Democrats have no problem insulting black people. And that's because Republicans don't call them out on it. So they punished Atlanta by taking the all-star game away. And in that act, they took a hundred million dollars out of an African-American city. Everybody in Atlanta in charge is black. But again, you get silence from conservatives and Republicans. The only Republican I know who ever called a Democrat a racist is Donald Trump. And the only Republican I know who ever called the left fascist is Donald Trump. That's the problem.
1: Well, I appreciated President Trump. I thought he was bold and that he was an actual public servant. He didn't take his salary, he donated it to good causes. (laughs) greatest
2: president since Lincoln, hands down, no contest.
1: Now, you concluded your book, The Enemy Within, with a coda that discusses the election and the election fraud in 2020. That's a topic of great interest to me, David Horowitz, and I uh, appreciated reading your thoughts on it. Now, irrespective of Trump and Biden, going forward, we must have election integrity. Can you give us any hope that America can overcome what the leftists are doing to this country? Well,
2: no, yes. Um, you know, the the right is finally waking up. I think I think there's more conservatives now who understand uh, that the Democrat party is an existential threat, as they like to say, to America. Uh, it has never been greater. People now understand these are very dangerous. It's a criminal party. You know, just what they did with the southern border is cr- criminal. They made the whole country into a sanctuary country, which is, that's it. We have laws. They didn't pass a law that changed our uh, immigration laws.
1: They didn't pass they didn't. a law to change the election rules either, but they changed the they rules.
2: Have, they have the, the gall to call the people who protested on January 6th insurrectionists. They're,
1: it's I'm upside down.
2: Speechless myself. But anyway, because these are such horrible people. But here here we go. I mean, there's a lot of Democrats, voters in particular, who don't know what's happening uh, or haven't, you know, haven't recognized it yet. But I'm talking, when I say they're evil people, I'm talking about Pelosi. All the people on the cover of my book, Pelosi, Obar, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and Chuck Schumer. Uh, My my chapter on the 2020 election is called Love Versus Hate. And it's obvious, you just step back a little and look at it. People voted for Trump because they love their country and because they love the fact that Trump is willing to sacrifice so much and take so many hits to defend our country. Biden Biden couldn't assemble a crowd of uh, 30 people. Maybe maybe, maybe he did 50. Uh, People voted for Biden because they hated Trump because of all the slanders in the press. That's just the reality. And what Trump has done is unprecedented. That is, when I came into the right, of the left, I looked around, and this was in the mid-'80s, and I said, where's the ground army? The left has all these organizations that are harassing, hectoring, persecuting politicians and corporations, boycotting until they get their way. And there was nobody on the right. Everybody on the right seemed to think, all Republicans, that politics takes place every two years with congressional elections, and then every four years with presidential ones. And in between, we do our get about our business. Now, that's a very s- civilized view. But we're not fighting s- civilized people. These are barbarians. And I knew from my long years on the left that leftists spend every second of every day when they're not smoking dope or something. Uh, thinking about ways to destroy this country. That's all they think about. What Trump has done, though, is to have created a mass conservative movement for the first time in our history. Uh, I I singled out one event. He did a a campaign event in Butler, Pennsylvania. I looked up Butler on the internet to see what its population size was. 1,240 people. But 50,000 people showed up to see Trump in the cold.
1: It was remarkable. But
2: if those people will get active, taking back their schools, our schools are horrifying indoctrination centers for child abusers and America haters. They're teaching kindergartners that the white kids are uh, are racist uh, and that they to choose to be boys or girls. I mean, it's unbelievable um, what Democrats have swallowed these days. You've got to find out what your kids are studying. You've got to organize parent groups and you've got to go into school board meetings and, and go into classrooms and demand that students be given a democratic education, which means they get to hear both sides of controversial issues. Presented fairly
1: now. I know that back in the 60s Berkeley for example was the haven of free speech, but lately Anybody wants to go to Berkeley who wants to speak and isn't a raving leftist uh, is I, they shut had down. Had,
2: They been to Berkeley twice myself. I actually had a, a had a conversation with the uh, vice president in charge of student affairs and the chief of campus police and The Republican club that invited me wanted my speech to be in the, you know, early evening when people were out of classes, like at five o'clock. And they said, no, you have to have the, you have to give the speech at one o'clock, which is when afternoon classes start. And then they said, and it has to be at at a, a university center a mile from the campus. They had a facility a mile from the campus. So they wouldn't even let me speak on campus. And then they they said, you can announce the event, but you can't tell where it is. <laughs> and I said, you gotta be joking. And they were dead serious. That that's our our my my writing partner who's now left us, Peter Collier, uh once said to me, he said, the employment profile for a university president is a cross between Saul Alinsky and Neville Chamberlain. Wow. And they're the problem. The administrators, well, they're cowards. It's the faculties that are the evil force. When I go to a school, or I, I'm not giving it up at this point, uh, partly because I'm getting on in years, but mainly because there's no point uh, I have professors calling on students to boycott my events. I, I spoke at Dartmouth. I had the, the left came, two lesbians got up on the chairs and started tongue kissing each other. Um, another leftist turned on her computer and put on porn movies and played them, turned up the volume. Others would get up and make speeches and then walk out and unfurl banners. And uh, the vice president, and Dartmouth is a $60,000 a year school. The the, uh, the vice vice president in charge of student affairs is supposed to ensure that there's an appropriate learning atmosphere. He thought this was all funny. He couldn't understand why I was upset.
1: And I was upset because
2: we weren't having an intellectual conversation. Which, of course, they don't want. A bunch of idiots um, disrupting. That's what
1: it was. Well, given that leftists really have no compunction against doing absolutely anything to get their way. I mean, every demonstration they have is what do we want, whatever we want, when do we want it, right now, right now, right now, every time. And conservatives, obviously, are a little more restrained by definition. How do we turn the tide and just why does nobody have the guts to say to the leftist, you don't get your way?
2: It's a problem. Republicans had the power. Every time there's a demonstration in the street where there are no permits, it's illegal. You want to have a parade, you have to get a permit. They needed to arrest everybody in the street. If you have to create camps for them, do it. You know, Send them to Guantanamo, whatever. Keep them in jail for a year or two. That'll stop these events. We can't have insurrection. That's insurrection. Look at, look at the difference between the Democrats. Here you had, after a, a suburb in which there were 663 violent demonstrations in 220 cities where people were killed, actually, where stores were looted and burned and billions of dollars of damage were done. The Democrats raised, Harris raised, called it a coalition of conscience and raised money to bail these criminals out of the tiny jail sentences they would have gotten anyway. On January 6th, a a group, maybe 200, maybe 300 Trump supporters walked into the Capitol and they destroyed nothing. They killed no one. They were unarmed. Everybody who died that that evening was a Trump supporter, including Ashley Babbitt, who was a 14-year Air Force veteran who was murdered by a Capitol policeman who Nancy Pelosi is protecting. To this day, we don't know his name. He's a murderer. She was unarmed. She was a threat to no one. He just shot her. And there are actually people still in jail from January 6th, it's now April, being held without bail. While the Democrats like the liar, you know, I call her Nazi Pelosi. The liar, Pelosi, said there was an armed insurrection. There wasn't a single arm. They didn't have any arms.
1: And the they ones who break. broke the glass at the beginning and on they, the 6th tried were left. they
2: throw out of Congress two senators, Hawley and Ted Cruz, for questioning an election result. When the Democrats have questioned every Republican victory, they did both Bush victories and the Trump victory in 2016. So look at the contrast. Uh, You know, Republicans are long-suffering. You can get away with murder. If you you murder a Republican, you can't... it's 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 unbelievable. You can see how bad the situation is, and a lot of it has to do... With the failure of conservatives and Republicans to fight this battle,
1: will we turn the tide? I believe that
2: we have the resources to turn the tide. I don't know if we have the will. We have young um, members of Congress who seem to be willing to fight. But, you know, there's a lot of catching up to do. A lot of catching up.
1: Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much, David Horowitz for your new book, The Enemy Within, and I want to thank you for being my guest here on Core Principles. I have tremendous respect for you and for the work that you do. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Now it's time for our special historical segment featuring a practical example of how Core Principles are applied.
1: Once again, today's On This Day in History comes from Dr. Paul Barkey. On April 27th, 1865. The worst steamboat disaster in United States history happened on the Mississippi River. Aboard the Sultana were 2,000 former Civil War prisoners headed home after being released from prisons in the South. Some had recently been released from the infamous Andersonville prison. The steamer was licensed to carry 376 passengers but there were more than 2,400 people aboard. When the steamer pulled into Vicksburg, a repairman notified the captain that a leaky boiler needed to be repaired or replaced, but the captain was in a hurry and settled for a thin patch. Three days later, a blast tore through the midsection of the ship. Steam and hot water erupted as the boilers exploded and the ship caught on fire. The Mississippi was at flood stage, so it was a mile or more to shore. Many aboard were scalded, and many others were drowned. A few were rescued by the Bostonia, which was headed south along the river. As word of the accident traveled up and down the Mississippi, boats were sent out from Memphis to continue the rescue operation, but more than 1,500 people died. Most of those dead were Civil War veterans who had survived battle, they had survived horrid prison conditions, and they were finally going home. All of us can anticipate at the end of our lives an actual trip home. Most of us picture ourselves living a long, healthy life, dying peacefully, full of years and great memories. However, there are a host of events that can drastically change that picture. No one has a guarantee for tomorrow, or even making it through today. Young people particularly are averse to contemplating mortality. Some even think that when they get their wild oats sown, all the things that they want to do out of their system, they will then turn their attention finally to their creator. The fallacy with that thinking is that none of us know how many years we will have all through the wisdom in the old testament young people are admonished to remember their creator in the days of their youth the wisest man who ever lived solomon listed a litany of events that can come into our lives and distract our devotion to god in time man is going to make the final trip to his eternal home consider ecclesiastes chapter 12 Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go to the streets. Remember him, Before the silver cord is severed, or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it.
0: Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July.